I want to go ahead and um, issue an apology for uh, the, the, the talk today. It's not really going to be a sermon. I know a lot of people show up and they want a good sermon. Today's not going to be one of those. Today's going to be more like a teaching, but it's to set up next week because next week I'm going to preach. I'm going to scream. I'm going to yell. I'm going to spit. I might cuss. I don't know. But next week will be the sermon. If you leave today and you're like, it really wasn't a sermon, you're right. It's more of a teaching, but I promise you, I promise you, if you'll lean in, you'll get something out of this because it, God's been like, blessing me and convicting me all at the same time all week long. We'll start out with a question. How many, how many snow skiers, snowboarders do I have in the room? Snow ski, snowboard, snow ski. How many have gone this season? You've gone time or two. Okay. It's awesome. I love it that you love that. I love it that you do that. This is not me throwing the hint out there, asking if I could maybe go with you next time because I have no desire to snow ski or snowboard. I'm glad you do it. But I, and, and there's always that one guy, you've just never been with me. You're right, and I'm not going to. Because I get hurt every time I go and do anything. Snow skiing, water skiing, hiking. I got hurt hiking, like off my feet for two weeks, hiking. Several years ago, a guy named John Eldridge came out with a book called Wild at Heart. And it was about how men need to get back in touch with the, the wild side that we need to hunt and we need to fish and we need to camp and we need to chase deers down naked with butter knives and all this other side. I, I threw that in there, that wasn't true. But, but I read that book and I went, I'm not wild at heart. I'm not, I don't wanna do that stuff. I wanna stay in a five star and roughing it, it's going to a four star. Like that's roughing it for me. I, I don't have that desire. And here's why. It's, it's, it's not because I don't enjoy being around people and friends, it's just, I always, something bad happens. For example, several years ago, some friends said, we're going whitewater rafting. Would you like to come? I said, no. I have no desire to get wet and sit in the boat for an hour. I can get wet and sit in my bathtub for free. I have no desire to go. They said, you need to get out more. You need to do things more. You need to hang out with friends and da-da-da-da. And, and actually, none of them are my friends anymore, which... Actually, that's true. None of them are, my friend. But anyway, we, so we go to this place, and I don't know where it was, Redneckville, USA, because the guy that worked there met us, and he had on jorts, um, the blue jean shorts with the pockets hanging out, and he's like, how y'all doing? And I was like, oh, God, this is not going to be good. So we get in the boat, and, and, people were, and, and we floated on this river. I don't know what river it was for like an hour. And people were like, did you have fun? No, it was horrible. I got wet. And, and sat in a boat. We got to the last rapid and the, and the guy who was actually a pretty neat guy, he said, listen, I got a question for y'all. He said, we've had a pretty good ride, this last rapid, do y'all want mild or do y'all want wild? Now I personally wanted mild. Now this is where some people go, well, Pastor P, I thought you loved to drive fast. Okay, that's right. I love to drive fast. I don't want you to drive fast with me in the car because I'm out of control. See, I'm a little bit of a control freak. So because I don't know anything about white, white, he said, this is a class four rapid. I'm like, you might as well be speaking Greek to me. Evidently, that's a pretty big deal. He said, well, here we go. We're going wild. The next thing I know, I'm flying out of the raft and I'm in the air. And have you ever been in a situation where you feel like everything's in slow motion and <laughs> you're looking around going, this is about to suck. <laughs> 
and I hit the water. Well, not a big deal, because I got that life jacket thing that they make you tie on like around you three times and cuts off all your circulation. But I got caught in this thing, I think they called it a vortex, and it sucked me under the water. And I thought, no big deal, you know, I've never been pulled under the water like this, but I know how to swim, so I'll just swim to the top. And I did my arms like this to try to get to the top, and I didn't move. I was stuck. And I don't know if you've ever been stuck underwater, but, but you lose all your ability to reason and panic sets in. And I, before I knew it, I was flailing. And I'd never worked this hard. And I was, I was panicking and I was, cause I was losing air. And I was under there, I don't know how long I was underwater. I, I'm not even gonna speculate on the time. This is what I do know. Everything started turning red and this thought popped in my mind. Well, this is how I'm gonna die. The next thing I know, and I don't know what happened and I can't even really speculate. All I know is, I guess the thing that was pulling me under decided, you know what, we don't really want this guy. And because the, the vortex, I guess it shifted and sh I came out of the water like a cannon. And I still remember when my head came above the surface, taking that breath of air in and it was the sweetest, most incredible feeling I had ever had in my life. Oxygen hitting my lungs. See, we don't think about it until we don't have it. And then we miss it, am I right? The reason I say that is because trapped underwater is how a lot of people that I know feel spiritually. We're alive and we're moving, but some of us are moving because we're flailing. And, and we feel like we're drowning. We feel like we're trying to breathe underwater, which is impossible. And the, Jesus, when he comes into our life to save us, he didn't save us so we can live underwater. He saves us so we can live an abundant life. A life where that air hits our spiritual lungs and we're full of life and potential. There, that's the reason that Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just to get us out of hell and into heaven, but to get himself out of heaven and into us so we can live an abundant life. So the reason we're starting this series today, now listen, we're gonna go through three chapters of the Bible today. I'll relax, I'll get y'all out of here by 1.30. But then next week, we're not even gonna make it out of the third chapter. So, cause I'm, today I'm teaching, next week I'm preaching. Now in order to set up Exodus, we gotta go back to Genesis, just real quick. Genesis ends with the story of a guy named Joseph. And Joseph basically goes to Egypt. He's the guy, if you grew up in Sunday school, the coat of many colors, Joseph. He goes to Egypt and he has a plan and he basically saves the world from starvation and he becomes right hand to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was like their king, their president, their ruler, their leader. And Joseph became his right hand man, put together a plan and saved the world from starvation. Well, at the time, Joseph's family lived in what is modern day Israel and so, because there was a famine, Pharaoh said, why don't you move your family down to Egypt? And Joseph thought, great idea. I'll relocate my entire family. So he relocated them to Egypt and there was about 70 of them in all. And the beginning of Exodus tells us that this group of people, they had, a, they had I guess, rabbit titus because they started multiplying. Rabbit, y'all get it? And so anyway, they, they just started multiplying. They just started having babies and having babies. Evidently, having babies was a thing and they didn't even have the gram to put the picture of the baby on, but they were having babies, right? And that's where we're gonna pick it up because the Bible says, the author of Exodus says this in chapter one, verse eight, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt 
who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Now, this new king is, is Pharaoh. He's the new Pharaoh. And so verse nine says, he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. Now we gotta get this because this is rich. Pharaoh is the enemy of the Israelites. Are you with me? He's the enemy. And the enemy says of God's people, which today as Christians, we are God's people. Our enemy is Satan. See the symbolism here? So the enemy says of God's people, they outnumber us and they're stronger than we are. See, a lot of people in this room, we talk about how much power that the devil and his demons have. But let me tell you what they're saying, that the people of God, when it comes to the people of God, we're more than them and we're stronger than them. The last thing the enemy wants for us to do is put our eyes on Jesus and actually start loving one another. Because if a body of believers puts their eyes on Jesus and loves one another, we can absolutely steamroll the works of the enemy and the enemy himself. We don't have to worry about the devil. The devil needs to work. The devil needs to look at his watch and go, oh my God, second chance is starting another service. We are gonna be in trouble. Thank you, I got an amen on that one. That was good, all right. So, so, so the people of Israel outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan. We must. How many have ever heard that God has an amazing plan for your life? You ever heard that? Satan does too. But it's not amazing. It's a plan to destroy your life. We must make a plan to keep them from growing. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Is there was a time where the, the, the enemy didn't want the people of God to grow. It's kind of like the enemy gets mad when a church grows. Isn't that funny? I, I guess I'm just kind of weird that way. It's right there in the Bible though, you see it? If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape the country. So we gotta, we gotta keep a plan. The enemy said, we gotta make a plan to keep them like, I, we, we can't let them understand their potential. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. A lot of talk about slavery. Slavery's always been around. Slavery is a horrible thing. Slavery is a terrible thing. But when you talk about slavery, we can't talk about slavery. Listen, when somebody brings up slavery with me, I'm like, I'm very willing to step into that conversation as long as you're willing to acknowledge that we're gonna address the slavery happening in the world today because today, in today's world, there are more slaves today than have ever existed in the history of the world. The human trafficking industry, the sex slave trade is that, a, and so if you're gonna talk about history, we can have that conversation and I'm very willing to have it, but there's slavery going on today that shouldn't be happening. I mean, there's a lot of work for the church to do, amen? And so, so they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I would be willing to bet you then in a room this size, and with our, with our family watching online, that there's some people that you feel worn down and crushed 
because of the circumstances happening in your life. The enemy this past week, this past month, over the past year has been wearing you down and crushing you. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just confirms that you're, you're human. We're all in the middle of this big, humongous spiritual war going on. So, so they were forcing it, but watch this. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. This is confirmation that men are always in the mood. I was counseling, I was doing some premarital counseling one time. The girl said, how do I know if he's in the mood? I said, is he breathing? <laughs> he's, I bring this up because Valentine's Day is Tuesday. Happy Single Awareness Day to some of our friends in the, in the room. It's Valentine's Day. It's, it's when you make up for what you didn't do all year long, right? But isn't it funny? They, they, could, they, could take, they could take away their freedom, but they obviously didn't take away all their freedom. Guys are coming home, 20-hour days. Wife meets them at the door. Honey, are you too tired? Uh-uh. Baby, I ain't never too tired. Put on some Marvin Gaye and let's get it on. Don't y'all love the Bible? It's, it's so interesting. They're working them to death, but they got, they got time. Hey, we got time. They keep multiplying. And, and the Egyptians, though, they, they, they're freaking out. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. And that's what the enemy wants to do with us. He wants to work us. He wants our minds, I'm gonna show you this in a minute, to work overtime, not having anything to do with the grace and mercy of God, but to do with how horrible that we, about the things that we've done in our lives and in our past. He's ruthless, isn't he? They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Can we agree that this is not the life that anybody in this room wants to sign up for? Yeah, I'd like a life of slavery, thank you very much. But the enemy has a way of making us slaves. Slaves to alcohol, slaves to pills, slaves to porn, slaves to our phone. Oh, let me camp there for a minute. You know what I hate? I hate my screen time report that Apple sends me every week. But you know what I've started doing? And I've just started doing this the past six months. This is like confession time for me. Hi, my name's Perry. Couple people, okay, you got it, you got it, you've been there. I think it was this summer, Shannon and I had some friends over and um, I, put, I took my phone like this and I put it face down, and I didn't pick it up for three hours because we just got caught up in conversation. And I literally, when they left, I went, I need more of that, as opposed to texting somebody on the couch with you. We've all done it. 
But can we just admit, that's, can we admit it's weird? Oh, let me push on this a little bit more. I feel conviction in the room. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it, it, having a phone isn't wrong. The phone having us is wrong. Oh God, I should just give an invitation, go home, turn in your phone. <laughs> so so they, they kept having all these babies and, and Pharaoh finally is like, listen, we got to do something because they've got, they're multiplying like rabbits, right? I mean, we gotta, we gotta shut this, but how do you shut it down? You can't shut that down. So this is what he did. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy, not child, boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. What a satanic idea. Now, I was talking about this one time and somebody afterwards, they came up to me and they said, well, Perry, you don't understand the culture. And I'm like, listen, screw culture. Throwing a baby into a river, that's just anti-human. Could we agree? And, but the thing that stands out to me, and I just wanna point this out, is there's an, there's an, an intentional attack on manhood in this verse. And the reason why is because the enemy knows if he can take out the boy, if he can take out the man, he can take out the family. 90%, over 90% of the people in the United States that are incarcerated today have one thing in common. They didn't have a father at home. There's a, there's a war on men. When Jesus was born, Herod, Herod issued the order that all the boys be killed. There's always a war on men. Now, ladies, listen, I, want, I know it's tough being a woman. I, I guess it's tough being a woman. Y'all talk about it. More than men talk about it. Men don't talk about it. We just suppress stuff and go crazy. But, but women, you talk about it more. I'm just telling you, men, if you feel like you're under an attack, it's because you are and we are under an attack. And men, let me say this, and I didn't say this to other services, but let me say this. It's tough leading your family spiritually. For those of you that got up and you got, your, you got your family to church today, good job. I'm dead serious, that's a big deal. I can stand on this stage and I can pray for this church and it's easy. But about a week and a half ago, right before we went to sleep, Shannon said, baby, can you pray for me? I wanna sleep good tonight and I got so nervous. The man that stands on stage and prays for hundreds of people every week got nervous when his wife asked him to pray, pray for her. It is tough, it is tough. The reason it feels like it's a fight is because it's a fight, but you can do this. Part of being a man is manning up spiritually. And, and there's an attack, there's an attack on manhood today. Toxic masculinity. Well, I'm not for toxic masculinity, but I am for masculine men. I think masculine men are a good thing. If I'm ever getting my butt beat, I want a masculine man to come and rescue me. <laughs> I don't care how in touch with his feelings he is. If I'm getting worn out, please send Billy Badass to help me out. That's who I want. I didn't cuss, that word's in the King James Version. All right, so, so we got a problem here. We got an attack on Manhood, and then in Exodus chapter two, the story shifts. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi, don't you, I love their genes, they got some good stuff. But they got married, and um, the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
she saw that he was a special baby. Don't you love that? A special baby. Now, I laughed when I read this because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He's writing about himself. And he's like, I was special, baby. <laughs> but doesn't every mom think their baby is special? Yeah, thank you so much. I've never met a mom. I've never met a mom. Hey, did you have your baby? I did. How was Eh? What do you mean, eh? He's, I mean, she's ugly. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't, we can't even get the dog to play with her. <laughs> really? Yeah, and she's dumb as a rock. Moms don't say that, do they? Every mom thinks their baby's pretty. Now, I just want to stop and dispel the myth. All babies are beautiful. Mm-mm. No, they're not. Because some of y'all showed me pictures, and I hadn't had breakfast yet, and it was a good thing. It's like, hey, Pastor P, look. And I'm like, Whoa! I suffer PTSD, don't be showing me that right now. But, but this is a special baby. And she, she kind of had to feel like it was special, so she kept him hidden for three months. Now, can you imagine trying to hide a baby for three months? Because they don't cooperate. They're ne never quiet when you want them to be quiet. Am I right? The tension that she's feeling. I gotta hide this baby. Because at any second, Soldiers could break through that door, throw this baby in the river. So one day she decided she couldn't take the pressure anymore. And she made a basket. And she put the baby in a basket and put him in the Nile River. Now, people can't, I've read so much on this and people can't agree why she did this. I personally believe this was her going, I, God, I'm, I'm releasing him to you. I'm, I can't keep him alive. I'm trusting that you can keep him alive. And she releases the baby and she tells her, her daughter, you sit here and watch what happens. I can't even watch. And if you're a mom, you, you probably couldn't have watched either. This would have been horrifying. So Miriam, Moses' sister, is watching and, and what happens is Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. Now, if you're watching this movie and you see this baby floating down the river, here comes Pharaoh's daughter. You're thinking, this kid's dead. Because Pharaoh's daughter, she's a government official too. There's an order, there's an edict by the government that you have to destroy Hebrew boys. If anybody's gonna follow that rule, it's Pharaoh's daughter. And here she comes, and here's the baby, and they're on a crash course. They're going to meet, and it's about to get bad for Moses. But the Bible says in verse six, when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying. And she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. It, what, what it should say is when the princess opened it and saw the baby, she threw him in the river. But it doesn't say that. It says when she saw the little boy and he was crying, she felt sorry for him. But the enemy had compassion on the baby. You know why? 
because God really does hold the whole world in his hands. He is sovereign and he is supreme. He rules and he reigns. That's why I don't get freaked out anymore. When the new, like, have y'all watched the news this week? We keep shooting all the Chinese balloons down. People are like, oh my gosh, China's sending balloons. Oh my gosh, help me Tom Cruise. Happening. People are just freaking out. Oh my gosh, they're, you know why I don't worry about who's in the White House or who's in control of Congress? Because God has the whole world in his hands. We live in an out of control world, but we have an in control God. The only reason my head can hit the pillow at night and I can sleep soundly is because I believe God's got it. So, so he, <laughs> she's sitting there feeling sorry for him and watch what his sister does. This is, this is, this is a bold move. This is a bold move. The baby sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Isn't that a bold move? Because who's she talking about? Her mama. Hey, I know a woman that might be able to nurse that baby for you. And, and watch what happens. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Don't miss this. This is for somebody all weekend long. I felt this all week when I was preparing this. The person that you view as your enemy, stop hating on them. Because God is about to use them to promote you to a place that you could have never gotten without them. Isn't it funny how God will take our enemies and use our enemies to promote us. He said in Psalm 23, four, I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. God's gonna say that I'm gonna prepare a feast and your enemies are gonna watch you eat. That's what's going on right here. God's gonna use, listen, somebody in this room, God's about to use your enemy to promote you to the next level. Is that good? I think that's good. I like that. Y'all good? Yeah, if y'all gonna clap, clap. Don't halfway do it. I just... Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. What? Get out. This is the best day ever. She went from, I think my baby's gonna die till I'm gonna get a government check to take care of my baby. And we know that's gonna clear for the next 20 or 30 years. And then we don't know, right? So, so the woman took the baby home and, and nursed him. And later when the boy was older, her mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son and he grew up in the palace. Now, before I go any further, I just need for somebody to hear me say, um, because you walked in today and you're feeling discouraged. You logged on today and you're feeling discouraged. You're kind of feeling overwhelmed. You're kind of feeling down. You're kind of feeling like you're underwater. I just want to pause for a minute and I want you to just celebrate. Look how far you've come. You might not be where you want to be, but look how far you've come. Moses wasn't where he thought he would be. It's definitely not where his mother thought he was going to wind up, but look how far he's come. Because some people in this room, you may not be where you want to be, but as you look back over your life, you were the baby 
and a basket and you are on your way to destruction. There's some people in this room, you should be an addict, but you're not. You should be injured, but you're not. You should be in the hospital, but you're not. You should be dead, but you're not because the grace of God and the mercy of God brought you out of that basket. And you might not be where you wanna be, but you're not where you could have been all because of the mercy of God. Is that good or what? Man, that fires me up. I'm starting to spit. And I said, I wasn't even gonna do that until next week. All right. So, so Moses grows up in the palace of Pharaoh. 40 years, he's 40 years old. 40 years old, which is young, amen? I'm 51, that's young too. Okay, I only got two amens on that, all right? All right just... <laughs> so he's, he's 40 years old. Now he grew up in the palace. And he learned the Egyptian culture and he learned the, uh, the religions. And he learned the government protocol and all this stuff, right? And he goes out one day and he decides to visit his people, the Hebrews. And, and many years later, when he'd grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, told you. He saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Now Moses had it in his heart to, to help his people out. And that's never a bad thing to help other people. But, but if you're gonna live out God's purpose, you also need to work God's plan, right? Because sometimes we can try God's purpose, but it's not God's plan and we can mess things up. Pastor P, I don't know about that. Well, stay with me. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Not a good plan. You're going to take out an Egyptian a day. About 4.3 million years, Moses, you're going to have it down. Do, do, you think, do you think in the moment he thought he was doing the right thing, but later on he regretted it? Of course. He murdered a man with his, and then tried to bury it. Isn't it funny how we'll do stuff and then we know it's wrong, so we try to bury it? <laughs> but our, our sin knows how to become a zombie and come back after us. We struggle with that. We do. And so... The next day when Moses went out to visit his people, again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said, the one who had started the fight. In other words, he's like, y'all need to recognize me. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm about to set y'all free. And this was their reply. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid thinking, everyone knows what I did, which is what we do. As soon as somebody, we think everybody knows, everybody knows, everybody knows. And this is the world, this is without social media, okay? So he's freaking out. And then the Bible says, surely enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the house of Midian. Now, let me just ask you a question. Did this hurt? Absolutely. Because see, Pharaoh had raised him. He was the grandson of Pharaoh. He had been around Pharaoh for 40 years. He had eaten dinner at his table. And then all of a sudden, one of the people who was closest to him in his life turned his back on him, betrayed him, and tried to kill him. There are people in this room. People have turned their back on you. You've been betrayed. You've been hurt by people that you thought would always stand with you. And I'm telling you, 
that sucks. There's no way to dress it up and there's no way to make it pretty. But I can also tell you that when God removes something from your life, he's gonna replace it with something better. Keep your head up, it does hurt. But it, listen, joy always comes in the morning and morning always comes. So he gets out of the desert and meets a guy named Jethro. And you automatically like him because his name is Jethro. Kind of feels like he's from like the Star, Ava area. What's your name? Jethro. I like you. You're a good dude. And he, he, had a, he was like bivocational. He was a priest and a shepherd. Had seven daughters and Moses got hitched to one of them and they had a baby. And Moses spent the next 40 years as a shepherd. Now, on the surface, can we all agree that from the palace to a shepherd looks like a demotion? Yes. You think Moses was happy being a shepherd? No. Probably walk around going, stupid sheep. I hate freaking sheep. They're bad. <laughs> but Moses, don't miss this. Moses had a job. He, he shepherded for 40 years, spent 40 years as a shepherd. Now shepherds, it's real fascinating when you study what shepherds do. And I was in Israel and I got a, anyway, I won't go through the whole talk, but basically shepherds, every day they go out and they know every one of their sheep by name. And they pick up that sheep and they examine it and they feel it and they make sure they don't have any broken legs or don't have any sores. Every single day, the shepherd examines his sheep. So Moses is learning how to care for these sheep. He's also learning how to lead. Don't miss this. He leads a group of sheep in the desert for 40 years, which was preparation for him to lead the children of Israel in the desert for 40 years. What he thought was punishment was actually preparation. God was getting him ready for his ultimate assignment. And then we meet him when he's 80. Now, I'm not gonna ask anybody 80 or older to raise your hand. That's just rude. All the men would and all the women wouldn't. But Moses didn't even discover God's plan for his life until he was 80. I was talking to some people one time about volunteering. This was years ago. And, and the, the couple was older. And the woman looked at me and she said, I've done my time. I said, beg your pardon? She said, volunteering. She said, I've done my time. She said, you've done your time? She said, yeah. I said, it sounds like you served in prison. She said, I did, kinda. I was like, so you're sure you're done your time? She said, yeah. I said, well, I don't, I don't think that's true. She said, why not? I said, you'd be dead. When, when, when God is done with you, he takes you home. There is no retirement plan in the Bible. Moses led the children of Israel for 40 years, walked to the top of a mountain, and God took him home. That's how you know when you're done. If God hadn't taken you home, he's still got a plan for your life. Isn't that good news? Hey, even, even though you buried something in the sand several years ago and you can't seem to shake it, 
So Moses is 80 years old, walk around the desert with his sheep. One day when Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Now it wasn't the mountain of God at the time, it would later become the mountain of God. Um, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared at it in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Now, this is, this is what you would call God getting Moses' attention. Can we agree? Because think about this. Most scholars agree that this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. He appears, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire. So there is a man on fire in the middle of a bush. Is this a sign from God? Yes. Which by the way, don't miss this. Moses wasn't looking for God. God was looking for Moses. And it, it brings me to the, I have to say this every single time when somebody's sharing their testimony, they're like, I was so messed up. And then I found Jesus. Well, he wasn't lost. He wasn't lost. We don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us because we're lost. And for some people in this room, it's probably not a burning bush. And if it is, we'll talk about it next week. But he's, for some people in this room, he's been trying to get your attention. And you, if, if that's you, you know exactly who you are because you just, you just felt that. He's trying to get your attention, but he's not trying to get your attention because he wants to beat you down. He wants to get your attention so he can bring you back up. He wants you to get your head out from under the water and learn how to breathe again. So Moses is staring and, and, the, and watch what he does. This is amazing. This is amazing. Told you, Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Don't miss this. Moses made a move. He could have just turned his back and walked away, but he made a move towards, God showed up and Moses said, I'm gonna step closer to this even though I don't fully understand what's going on. This is for the person that said, I can't become a Christian until I get all my questions answered. I've been a, I've been a Christian since 1990 and I still don't have all my questions answered. So he makes a move. And watch what happens. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. <laughs> Moses didn't know what, what do you say when a man on fire is talking to you and calls you by your name? He goes, here I am, because that's all you can say, right? Don't miss this. Did, did God know that Moses had murdered a man, yes or no? He didn't call him murderer, murderer. He calls him Moses, Moses. See, God knows our sin, but he calls us by our name. The enemy knows our name, but he calls us by our sin. For some people in the room, that doom loop that's been going over and over and over in your mind, reminding you of your past and how horrible of a person you are, you're angry at God because you think that's God, but that's not God, that's the enemy. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So. So God tells him, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. And we'll come back to this because to me, this is the most fascinating verse of the entire text. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. I wanna go back to this verse though. Take off your sandals for your standing on holy ground. I'm gonna tell, tell you something that you're not gonna agree with. Some of y'all aren't gonna agree with this. Most of you will. But your feet are nasty. You got nasty feet. They are, right now. Now some of y'all are getting offended, mostly women. Because you got, you got boxes of shoes. How many women in this room have more than 10 pairs of shoes? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. How many of you are sitting next to a woman that should be raising her hand? <laughs> How many of you had to get a second job to afford her shoe habit? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the reason you got all those cute shoes? To cover your nasty, <laughs> stinking feet. And for those of you women today, that are wearing those cute leather boots, when you go home and you take your shoes off, please do it outside. Because if you do it inside, you'll knock out the cat, you'll knock out the dog. The dog will probably run away and never come back again because your feet stink. Why aren't you talking to the men? Because all the men know that our feet stink. Have you ever been in a room and somebody took off their, took off their shoes and you're like, my God, I've literally told people you need to put your shoes back on because <laughs> your feet are rank. Now I know my feet are ugly. My feet are gross. I got runner's toes, my toenails fall off. That's not that bad. It don't hurt. Just walking down the hallway. And when they don't fall off, Shannon, <laughs> Shannon but y'all pray for Shannon because I'll just be watching TV at night and I, I'll, I'll be watching TV at night, sitting like this and, and, and pulling off my toenails, putting them in a little pile. <laughs> Don't judge me. Every man in this room's done it. Every man in this room. Hey, you piled up your toenails on the coffee table and forgot about it and your wife either threw them away or the dog ate them. I mean, that's what happened. You know I'm telling the truth. Because your feet are nasty. Some of you ladies pushing back going, I get a pedicure every week. Well, you know what they're talking about when they're doing your feet. <laughs> How nasty your feet are. Now, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because can you imagine Moses' feet? 40 years, walking in the desert, tending sheep. Think he had stepped in a pile or two? And... And, and these weren't like designer sandals. They, these, were, these were horrible. And he's walking around and he got neck for 40 years. You think his feet had been stained by the earth? You think they were dirty? I, I would argue, I would argue that the feet, his feet were probably the dirtiest part of his body. They were gross. They were nasty, which is mind-blowing. Because God says, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Wait a minute, God. If his feet are the nastiest part of his body and the ground is holy, wouldn't 
you kind of want that layer of protection so your holiness doesn't come in contact with his uncleanness. And God says, no, 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 no. Moses, I want to touch the most unclean part of your body so you can understand that everything that has happened in your life up until this point and everything that's going to happen from this point on is because of my mercy. He didn't say, Moses, go clean your feet and then come back to me. He says, no, you just bring your dirtiest part to me. And when it comes in contact, when, when your unrighteousness comes in contact with my holiness, everything that's wrong about you will be made right. That's just beautiful because that's my story and that's your story. If you're in Christ, how good is his mercy? How amazing is his grace? God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, to die the death we should have died so we can live a life not underwater, but breathing abundantly. So Jesus, right now, I just wanna pray for every single person in this room that we would, God, we would just pause for a second and think about your mercy. God, where could we have been had it not been for your mercy? Where would we be today if it wasn't for your mercy? God, we have an amazing future. God, because of your mercy. God, I want to thank you today that because of the cross and because of the resurrection, your mercy is available for all who will receive it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now, maybe you walked in today and you've had that that doom loop, that sin loop going over and over again in your mind. And you just need to know today, today, right now, if you're in Christ, you're covered by the mercy of God. You can breathe again. You don't have to pay for what Jesus has already paid for. And if you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Christ, you've never received the mercy of God, today's your day. Today's your day to ask Jesus to come into your life. Today's the day to receive God's mercy to receive forgiveness for sin and be made right with Christ and if that's you and you know you want to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life today then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me and I want you to pray it out loud but you're not going to have to pray it alone because our entire Second Chance family we're going to pray this prayer with you so you can know that you're stepping into a relationship with Jesus but you're not doing it alone so Second Chance family let's pray this out loud and if you need to pray to receive Christ you pray this right now just say Jesus Christ I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I receive your mercy. You are Lord in Jesus name. Now heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room. If you just prayed and asked Christ to come in your life, I want to celebrate with you. I want to pray for you. So I want you right where you stand right now, if you just prayed that prayer, to put your hand straight up in the air and leave it up for a second because I want to see it. Amen. 
Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen, sir. Amen, ma'am. Got a couple. That is amazing. So thankful. Anybody else? Keep them up high. Father, I want to thank you for these hands in the air. I want to thank you for saving people. I want to thank you for changing lives. Jesus, I want to thank you that we've never had a single Sunday that you didn't change somebody's life. I want to thank you for my brand new brothers and sisters in you. Father, I want to thank you for all of us that have received your mercy. I pray for I pray for us, Jesus, that we would take that next step in our relationship with you. I pray for us, God, that we would understand we're covered by your mercy. We're covered by your grace. And in you, Jesus, the best is always yet to come. We love you. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody that agreed says, Amen. Amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Me too. Y'all have a great week and we'll see y'all back here next Sunday.